Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 18, starting to read at verse 21, and you will find it on page 985 of the Bibles. The parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Hello. Just checking it's on. I don't know about you. I find today's passage pretty sobering. For this is an uncompromisingly severe judgment story, which Jesus then turns on his disciples and on us with the words, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. When we consider these solemn words, we must remember that it is Jesus speaking and that he is speaking out of deep love. 
For this truth told in a story is trying to prevent such judgment. Jesus is aware that his disciples are caught up in ways of thinking and behaving that undermine both the truth and practice of the gospel. And just as it is necessary sometimes for a parent to deal sternly with a child, it is also necessary for God to deal severely with his disobedient children. So as you listen to the passage today and what I share, I do want you to remember the encouraging words in the letter to the Hebrews. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training, for he is doing what any father, what any loving father does for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who never had to be corrected? We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For if we have never once endured his correction, it only proves we are strangers and not sons. So turning to Matthew 18, 21 today, we open with a conversation between Peter and Jesus. We find Peter asking, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. In Jesus' answer, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. There is an echo of words found all the way back in Genesis. After Cain murdered his brother Abel, God put a mark on Cain in order to prevent the avenging of Abel's killing by warning that if anybody did kill Cain, he would be avenged sevenfold. God is not so much as prescribing as predicting this law of revenge. However, move forward five generations and we come across Cain's descendant, Lamech, mocking God's attempt to stem the tide of vengeance. Bragging to his wives, Lamech says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, than Lamech, 77 times. By echoing Lamech's words, Jesus is calling his disciples to interrupt and overthrow this cycle of unlimited law of revenge. By echoing Lamech's words, Jesus is inviting his disciples to instead to forgive with no limits and so start a story of grace again. But Jesus knows from Peter's question that his disciples don't have the first idea about true forgiveness. They live as we live, in a dog-eat-dog world. As Philip Yancey writes, unforgiveness plays like a background static of life for families, nations, and institutions. Unforgiveness is sadly our natural human state. We nurse sores, go to elaborate lengths to rationalize our behavior, perpetuate family feuds, punish ourselves, punish others, all to avoid the most unnatural act of forgiving. And so Jesus tells a parable. 
for while Peter wants a hard and fast limit as to how many times we are to forgive, Jesus uses the parable to teach why we ought to forgive. For Jesus' hope is that if we understand this, we will no longer say how often, for that question will answer itself. And so he begins, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. This king we hear is owed 10,000 talents. There is a lot of commentary on the precise amount of this figure, but I think the point of the term is not really to specify an exact amount, but to convey that it is huge. So huge as to be laughable, were it not so tragic, because the king knows that this debt is beyond the servants to pay. And that incalculable, unpayable monetary debt, of course, represents the debt for sin that each one of us owes God. Unfortunately, we, like the disciples, are not usually aware that we are so bad. But the Bible's message here, as elsewhere, works hard to give us an assessment of the human condition. For the danger is if that we deny we are sinners, forgiveness has no meaning for us. From beginning to end, the Holy Scripture testify that the predicament of fallen humanity is so serious, so grave, nothing short of divine intervention can rectify it. And so we see that divine intervention in the response of the king. For although the king has every right to bring a tremendous punishment against this enormous debt, seeing the man's distressed condition and hear, hearing his plea, the king responds with compassion and forgives the entire debt. The servant gets immeasurably more than he asked. You see, the servant, he might mistakenly believe he can make up his incredible debt and avoid punishment by, you know, rescheduling his repayments. But in theological language, he seeks to be justified by works. In fact, he receives a forgiveness that he hadn't even dared to ask for. And so far as the servant believes the king's assurance in theological language, he is now justified by faith. This is the kingdom message Jesus wants his disciples to know, that God does not give us our due, but he forgives. And as we know, this forgiveness by the king in the parable, well, this becomes historical fact when Jesus himself gives unlimited forgiveness on the cross absorbing all the consequence of human sin and broken relationship within himself. Jesus doesn't get even, he forgives. Father, forgive them, he cries, for they do not know what they are doing. Unless our debt and our sin is dealt with through forgiveness, we can find no way around it. We can't clean it up, we can't undo it. We are broken, we need a savior. But 
Jesus hasn't finished. The parable continues and the story now turns dark. For the servant who has just forgiven the equivalent of the, I don't know, the national debt, he proceeds to find a fellow servant who owes him comparatively a minuscule amount. But rather than searching his fellow servant out to forgive him, he has sought his fellow servant out to condemn him. The fellow servant's plea we hear parallel that of the first. Please give me time. Please have patience. But even hearing his very own petition repeated back to him doesn't touch him. He has the man thrown into prison. He's got for himself his pound of flesh, just like Lamech. We hear this story. We find this man's behavior inconceivable. Yet, if we're honest, there are times when we find ourselves behaving like the unmerciful servant. As C.S. Lewis says, Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. Jesus' picture of the unforgiving servant and our own personal experience make clear. So often, we do the very same thing in our own measure and degree. What do we do with the forgiveness God has given to us? Do we in turn forgive others or do we still expect our pound of flesh? For so often we seem to forget that freely we have received and freely are we to give. While we tend to think being forgiven by God and forgiving others are two separate things, Jesus' parable totally refutes this. For what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand is that forgiveness is a way of life, God's way of life, and God's way to life. As the theologian N.T. Wright explains, forgiveness isn't like a Christmas present that a kindly grandfather can go ahead and give to a sulky grandchild, even if the grandchild hasn't bought a single gift for anyone else. It isn't like the meal that, we will be, that will be waiting for us back home, even if we fail to buy a cheese sandwich and a cup of tea for the homeless guy on the street. Forgiveness is a different sort of thing altogether. He writes, forgiveness is more like the air in your lungs. There's only room for you to inhale the next lungful when you've just breathed out the previous one. If you insist on withholding it, refusing to give someone else the kiss of life they may desperately need, you won't be able to take any more in yourself and you will suffocate very quickly. Whatever the spiritual, moral and emotional equivalent of the lungs may be, it's either open or closed. If it's open, able, and willing to forgive others, it will also be open to receive God's love and forgiveness. But if it's locked up to the one, it's locked up to 
the other. This is why Jesus had already taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It is a daily reminder to breathe in and receive his forgiveness for our failings and then to breathe out and release it to those who have failed us. In fact, after teaching the Lord's Prayer, Jesus went on to give further instruction on this one line only in the prayer, specifically saying, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will... For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And this is why it ends so badly for the servant in the parable. He shows no inclination or intention to even try to forgive. It says, he refuses. You wicked king, the king says, you wicked servant, the king says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master hands him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all what he owed. Withholding forgiveness determines his fate. It's a death sentence of his own design, his own choosing. For as Jesus' brother James will later write, judgment by God is without mercy to those who have shown no mercy. And this is the fork in the road that lies before us. If we abandon forgiveness, we bind God's grace. And just as David had Nathan's confrontation to bring him to repentance, in like manner, Jesus turns this, this, this parable directly on us to have us see our hearts before God's forgiveness. As the Passion Translation of this verse reads, Jesus says, in this same way, my heavenly Father will deal with any of you if you do not release forgiveness from your heart towards your fellow believer. It is thoroughly unsettling, and it is designed to be so. For Jesus doesn't want us to be under any illusion that we can presume upon his Father's mercy, believing we will face no consequences. Jesus doesn't want us spiritualizing the gospel, thinking that we can love God, but not the world God so loved. As John will later write, those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Elizabeth O'Connor writes, despite a hundred sermons on forgiveness, we do not forgive easily nor find ourselves easily forgiven. Forgiveness, we discover, is always harder than the sermons make it out to be. And so, with this in mind, I want to end my sermon today by playing a video clip. 
The clip has been taken from the Church of England's website, Thy Kingdom Come, to illustrate the truth. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This video certainly doesn't make it out that forgiveness is easy. But what it does show is that when Christians choose to be obedient, forgiveness is possible. We're going to walk in the room and we're going to say,